Once again, we're in the book of James, as I've been in for a while. Um, and we're in the home stretch. We're in chapter 5. And so we just got a few more sections, and then we'll be done with this book. Um, and so I'd like to read verse chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> Come now, you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. Your, wail, your wealth has been rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures in the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers who mowed the fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived luxuriously on the earth, and have indulged yourself. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who does not resist you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all that you give us, Lord. And as we heard the song with lifted hands, I pray that you would just help us to see the things in this sermon that might apply to our lives and to... Seek to get those right with you this morning. God, I pray that you would be with me as I, as I preach and give this word, that you would hide me behind the cross and that I would, I would say the words that you would want me to say, Lord. And I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we had to put everything that James has talked about in a nutshell... Um, James had been telling us that we're supposed to look at the world differently. We're supposed to think different than those around us. And so, and to live differently and behave differently than the world around us. And so I, I kind of want to just recap some things that we've talked about so far because I'm not up here that often. And, and so I, I think it's important to kind of uh, go back and look at the message that he's been given us. First of all, in chapter 1, he starts off by telling us that we should look at the trials differently. The trials that we go through, we should look at those differently than what the world looks at. Uh, that those things are meant to make us mature in our faith and they're make, to make us more like Christ. And so that's how we're supposed to look at the trials that we go through as Christians. Uh, we're told that we should ask God for wisdom. We should pursue his wisdom and not living a life of doubt. Because when we doubt, we don't typically receive things from God. And so after that, he goes on to tell us to be hearers of the word and not hearers of the word and doers of the word, not just to hear the word, but to act upon what we've heard in our lives, that we receive it, that we let it change our hearts and we act upon what Jesus has told us to do, to be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger as we hear God's word to us um, and that we should not show favoritism towards each other. And that along with faith, if we truly believe in Jesus, there will be actions in our lives. There will be works in our lives that will accompany our faith. That we are not called to trust in Jesus and then wait until we're dead and, and to come alive in Christ. We're to do things while we're here that goes along with the teachings of Christ. And he goes on to tell us to control our tongues and not to speak to each other in ways that's destructive. And how our words can cause problems in people's lives or it can build them up and encourage them for good. And then he goes on to talk about true wisdom and 
human wisdom versus God's wisdom, that human wisdom leads us to live for ourselves, which is the big emphasis on the last at least three sections I've went over, that human wisdom leads us to live for ourselves, for our own desires, and godly wisdom teaches us to obey God and to live for others. And he goes on to talk about being proud versus being humble, that being proud is where we exalt ourselves, we indulge in our own desires, and being humble is the opposite of that, that we seek to love God and we seek to put others first in our lives. And then as last sermon that I preached as I muddled through it, uh, our lives are not ours. Our lives, those of us who have given our lives to Christ, they do not belong to us. And so we should seek his will over our will and his plans for our lives over our plans. And when we live for our plans, we often neglect why God has us here. And that's to be a light to the world when we indulge ourselves. And so that's what we've talked about so far. I know that that's a lot, but that's what we've kind of talked about. The pattern there is the same pattern that the whole Bible really teaches us, and that's to think differently than the rest of the world. That we as Christians, we as children of God, are not supposed to be like the world. And that's difficult sometimes, especially in certain areas that we're going to talk about today. And, And that's what we do with our money. The title of this section is Warning to the Rich. And so a lot of times that's a personal area to us, right? We don't typically go around telling people what's in our banking accounts. And if people come and if somebody were to come up to us and tell us what to do with our money, we would say that's none of your business, right? We have boundaries. That's kind of a personal area to us. Um, but James doesn't care about those boundaries, as we're going to see here in a moment. Jesus doesn't care about those boundaries. The Bible doesn't care about those boundaries. And that's why James tells us to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak, and to be slow to get angry, because he crosses those boundaries. And he tells us what to do with our money. That If anybody off the street came up and did that to us, we would say, get out of here. You, don't, you have no business telling me what to do. But he does it. And so does the rest of the Bible, because we trust that they have the authority of God. Um, But it is personal to us, and so we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger so that God can show us the things in our lives that need to be straightened out, and we can get those straightened out. And so this is not a message on tithing, and the reason I say that is, number one, I think that a lot of times people who sit in a sermon and you hear the word tithing and giving to the church, people think, oh, this church just wants my money. That's not what we're about here. Um, you know, I don't think I've really ever really heard pastor give many sermons on tithing. And so uh, that's not the emphasis of this. And I would think that if we don't want to give to a church, if that's the way our heart is and we don't think we need to, then I would encourage you not to give to a church because God wants us to give with a willing heart. And so uh, that's not what this is about. I do believe that this church does a lot of good things with the money that we've been given. And at any given time, you could ask what that looks like. And we would share that with you because... We're supposed to be transparent like that. Um, but this is not what it's about. Regardless of whether you feel like giving to a church, though, whether you think the money goes to something good, God has called each and every one of us as Christians to be generous with the money that he's given us and not to keep it for ourselves, not to make our lives about ourselves and not to continuously spend about ourselves. So even though this is not a message on tithe, it's a message on greed. It's a message on materialism. It's a message on idolatry. It's a message on being generous with the money that we've given us, that God has given us and not stingy with that money. It's a message about loving our neighbor as ourselves. Because this, is a, this whole passage, the whole Bible, is a message to us that says that we should think differently than the way the rest of the world thinks. And the rest of the world has told us to think and act and live because the world tells us to pursue 
riches. The world tells us that if we pursue the things in life that we, we can buy with money and we can store up as treasures, that we're going to have a better life. We're going to have a happy life. And, and that's just not true. And Jesus has called us to be radically different than the rest of the world. And so when we read the radical things that Jesus teaches, sometimes we have this tendency to kind of just, we can be tempted to think he doesn't really mean what he's saying. Does he really mean that we should love our enemies, that we should turn the other cheek if they hit us? Does he really mean that we shouldn't store up treasures or possessions? And, and, um, and sometimes we kind of we overlook those things because we don't, we don't think he takes it really seriously. Like maybe he doesn't really mean it's that bad of a deal. But what if we did take some of those more radical teachings seriously? I'm not talking about when he tells us to like cut off your arm and pluck out your eye if it's causing you to stumble. Because we didn't see any of the disciples do that. That's a metaphor for saying get the things out of your life that's causing you to sin against God. So that's not what we're talking about. But when he tells us to love our enemies, when he tells us not to store up treasures, what if we took those teachings more seriously? Well, I know that my life would look different than it does right now. And just being genuine and transparent with that. Like, because there are a lot of things, there's some teachings that Jesus has taught that I haven't taken very seriously in my life. And this sermon has made me think about, like putting this passage and thinking about this passage, it has made me think about that more seriously uh, this past week. And so a lot of times we turn a blind eye to what Jesus has taught us. Does he really mean this? Uh, does he really mean what he says? Fill in the blank. And uh, that's exactly what Satan said to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say that you can't have any of the fruit in the garden, any of the tree in the garden? And uh, surely you won't die. He twisted God's words. And so to take some of Jesus's teaching seriously means radical change in our lives, means a difference in our heart, means that we do think differently. And so as we talk about this passage, I don't believe that all this passage addresses, uh, addresses every Christian who has a lot of money uh, in the sense that it talks about how people who are rich oppresses the poor. I don't think, I think there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of money, a lot of Christians who have a lot of money, who didn't take advantage of anybody to get it, who gained it honestly um, and wasn't oppressing the poor like this passage is going to talk about. But in this country, many of us as Christians, we value money and we value possessions in a way that Jesus tells us not to. And so this does apply to a lot of us as Christians in this country, myself included. And so I do believe that much of what James says applies to many of us as Christians, even if we're not oppressing the poor. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, what we do with our money. And we go to verse 1. Come now, are you rich people. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you. And so when he says, come now, he's saying, listen closely. Uh, James has given us a serious warning because the Bible, the prophets, the apostles are constantly giving us warnings on how we should live our lives and what happens if we don't live them the way that God's called us to do. I just got done reading the book of Jeremiah. It's a very depressing book. Uh, but with, along with him and most of the prophets, they were constantly warning Israel to turn away from worshiping other gods, to turn away from the love of money, to turn away from oppressing the poor and ignoring the orphans and the widows. 
And, and then there was other prophets on the other side that kept saying, no, God doesn't really care about that. You're going to be fine if you keep living the way you are. But the prophets are saying that if you keep doing what you're going to do, God is going to send a nation into your country and he's going to tear things apart. And he's going to remove you from your country and drag you out in chains and he's going to take you out of there. And uh, they refused to repent. And so that's exactly what God did. He sent the city of Babylon. He sent the empire of Babylon into that country, tore down Jerusalem. They took many Jews out of that country with chains to back to Babylon. Some of them went off to Egypt, even though God told them not to, and they were met with destruction there. And so there's constant things in the Bible that shows us that if we do the opposite of what God says, uh, then it's not going to end very well for us. Um, there is going to be some sort of consequence. And so that's what James is saying. James is saying, come now, listen closely. I have something that I need to tell you that's a warning that you need to listen to. And so he goes on to say, you rich people. Well, what does it mean to be rich? It's kind of a gray area for some people. Uh, some people look at having a lot of money, but really it's having an abundance. Um, having an abundance of something. But oftentimes it just means that we have more than what we need, which is an abundance. And so most of us do here in America... We have more than what we need, myself included. And so this is a warning to many of us Christians in America who have an abundance, who are considered wealthy. He says, listen to what I'm telling you, those who have an abundance of things, those who are rich. So most of us in this country are wealthy when you compare us to many other countries in the world. It may not seem that way sometimes because sometimes we live outside of our means and we don't feel like we have a lot of money, but maybe we have a lot of possessions and that kind of classifies a lot of us, but the middle class income ranks pretty high uh, compared to on the global, global scale when you compare it to many other countries. We, we may not think we make that much, but we make a lot compared to a lot of countries. I'm not very good with statistics and explaining that, but I have looked some of those things up, and it's obvious that we do make a lot more than what we think in, in a lot of times. And so you don't have to be a millionaire to be rich. You often just have to have more than what you need. And uh, I, I was given a shirt by Sarah, my wife, uh, a couple years ago that said, the opposite of poverty is enough. And when I first got that shirt, I didn't really understand it. I had to think about it. I had to look it up and cheat. Uh, but basically, a lot of times we think the opposite of poverty means that you have a lot, that you're rich. But that's not the opposite of poverty. The opposite of poverty is having enough to live on. And we think of it as, as having a lot, but it's really just enough to live on because those who live in poverty don't really have much of their basic necessities. And so most of us are doing pretty well in this country, even though if maybe sometimes we don't see that or sometimes we take that for granted. And we don't really think about what God has given us and we kind of, uh, we kind of just become ungrateful. I know that I've become ungrateful in my life, uh, in my personal life. And so he tells us to listen, those of us who have an abundance... Those of us who would be considered rich, he says, weep and wail. Weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you now. Why does he tell us to weep and wail? Well, he uses the same language in James chapter 4, verse 9 that we read earlier. Uh, he says, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why would he tell us to do that? Well, that's a passage on whenever we talked about being proud or humble. Uh, we talked about... If you're proud, you're exalting yourself. You're living for yourself. Um, and so partially, 
he says that we should weep and mourn because of what the consequences are going to be of our actions if we don't repent. But also I think brokenness is, is something that comes along with repentance. You see, back in chapter 4, he was telling us to repent. He was telling us to be broken. He was telling us to draw near to God, and God would draw near to us. And so um, it's not just because of the consequences of our sin, but because brokenness is essential to repentance. Brokenness is not the same as repentance. You know, a lot of times we'll feel bad about something we did and we'll think that we're good now because I felt bad about it. That's not repentance. You have to think about Judas. Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He tried to give the silver back. He ended up going and buying a field and hanging himself. That's not repentance. He felt bad about what he did, but he didn't repent. Okay, he went and hung himself. Had he repented, he would have turned to God, asked God for forgiveness, and lived a different way after that. Turned away from thinking that way. And so brokenness is not the same as repentance. And the Bible tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance. So when we're broken the way that God tells us we should be broken for our sins, not just remorse, it will lead us to repent and turn away. And so I believe that's why he's telling us to weep and wail in certain circumstances, because we need to realize that we, are, we need to be broken for our sins. Uh, we can't repent unless we're listening to the warnings of God uh, that he gives us and that we're taking them seriously. But it's not just listening to the warnings of God. It's not just hearing the word and God's instructions. It's acting upon it, as James says in chapter 1. So weeping and wailing is about being broken. It's about trying to find repentance and turning away from our, our sin. But it's also about what he talks about in the next few verses. And that's about the consequences of trusting in riches instead of trusting in God and living the way that we're supposed to live. So verse 2 through 3 says this. Your wealth has rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures in the last days. That sounds really harsh, uh, but it's something that he's painting a picture of what happens when we trust in riches. And he's echoing what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so James is echoing what Jesus says when he says, Everything that you have put your trust in, you've put your trust in when, you're, when you have a a lot of wealth and you have a lot of possessions it's going to fade it's going to become useless to you and you are going to face consequences and judgment and so Jesus says not to store up treasures what are treasures James mentions gold and silver as treasures he also mentions moth-eaten clothing so it could be clothes that are treasures to us uh, things that can be destroyed, almost everything can be destroyed that we store up. And so what he's really talking about is material possessions. Material possessions. That's what Jesus says, don't store up treasures. And, and it's interesting because one person's trash is another person's treasure. I, I have many things stored up um, that I will never use, but whenever I go to look at that, I think, well, I might use that later, and so I've placed value on those things. While you guys might look at those and say, well, that's worthless. I wouldn't keep that for anything. Um, now, many of us as Americans are like this. We have too much stuff. Uh, I have stuff that I've stored somewhere. I've stored it still in my parents, things that I've bought since before I was married. 
and uh, things that I had when I was single that I know that a lot of that I'll never use. And I have nowhere to go with it. Uh, but had I been listening to Jesus, just because it's a lot, not me. <laughs> had I been listening to Jesus, I would not have had this problem. And see, that's just it. We as Christians in our culture, we often take this command, we often don't take this command seriously when Jesus says, don't do it. Don't store up treasures. Don't store up possessions. And so it's one of the more radical teachings that I talked about earlier. One of the many that we have, uh, and myself included, often turned a blind eye to and ignored. Did Jesus really mean that? Did he really mean don't accumulate possessions? And so we kind of toy with that question, and, uh, and it goes back to in the garden. Did God really say that you couldn't eat of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say, surely you're not going to die? And it becomes this slippery slope when we, when we try to justify our way of life against the word of God and against Jesus' teachings. And mankind has been doing that since the beginning of the world, since the beginning of time. And James is telling us, this, he's telling us there's going to be consequences if we don't repent. And so all of us... All of us have to decide what we're going to do with the teachings that Jesus and the Bible has taught us and what James has taught us today and told us. And we have to remember Jerusalem and how God worked with Israel that when they didn't repent, there was consequences for their actions. So it goes on. He says, their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh. And so James is telling them that what they have put their confidence in is going to fade. It's going to corrode. It's going to be useless. And so I think that we look around in our our government and our economy, and we see money being printed right and left and uh, the inflation rate rising, and we see just all sorts of things happening right now. Uh, and, and in 1922 and 1923, Germany printed way too much money in their economy. And uh, it actually became to where there was hyperinflation, which means that you could see people take a wheelbarrow of money down to the grocery store to buy a loaf of bread. And, and it's just, that's the type of thing that happened because there was way too much money printed. And so this could happen here. I'm not trying to scare us in this, but this is something that could happen here. A lot of times we think we're secure. God's got his hand on us. But when we don't live the way that God tells us to, this very well could easily happen here. And so the money that we've saved, the money that we've invested, the retirement, and all the ways that we've had to try to secure a good future could be wasted as that money becomes worthless. And all of the luxuries and the comforts that we have will be a thing of the past, and we could just be living to survive. There's all sorts of scenarios where the things that we place value on, the things that have value now, become worthless. I mean, that's what he said. Your gold and your silver has rusted. We value gold. That's a universal thing. But in the end, once, once there's no value to be put on that, what does it matter? And so this is not to be said for us to worry, okay? This is not something, Jesus tells us not to worry about tomorrow and about everything that could happen. But if our hope is in those things, what happens when those things become worthless? And so as Christians, as children of God, we need to position ourselves in a way that our hope and our security comes from God and not the things we have. Because when that happens, when we lose those things that we find valuable, we still have hope because we still have God. 
and that we don't place value on things that will only fade and take God's place in our lives. And it disrupts the reason we're here, that we're not here to live for ourselves. We're not here to store up possessions. We're here to love God and to love others and to live for others as children of God. We're here to think differently than the rest of the world. So it's not what we gain while we're in this world, but it's what God gains through us as his children for his kingdom and for his glory. It's not about treasures, um, as we saw with the rich ruler who, who clinged to his treasures but could not give them up so that he could follow Jesus. And so James also says within that verse, he says, you've stored up treasures within the last days. Why is that an important phrase? Why is the last days an important phrase there? Well, ever since Jesus has stepped foot on this earth, it's been the last days. And so Jesus is God's clear revelation of his will for our lives. Everything we need to know about what God wants from us is revealed to us through Jesus. And in the Old Testament, when God revealed himself to Israel, he gave them instructions. He actually treated them a little harsher with judgment than the nations around them, as that's shown to us. He spends more time correcting and rebuking them than he does the other nations. Why? Because they have his instruction. They know what God expects of them. And then you turn and you see that nations around, they don't have the instruction that God has given them. And so God has revealed his will and his instructions to us through Jesus, and so we know better. We know better, and we know better you're held to a higher standard. And so to live in the last days means to live in a time where God is clearer than ever on how we are supposed to live our lives, that we've been warned that judgment for the world is around the corner, and so we as Christians need to heed God's warnings. We can't claim ignorance if we're following Jesus, because we follow Jesus, we know better. And so... What are we going to do with the revelation that God has given us through Christ? All the teachings that seem a little more extreme, that seem like, well, maybe he really didn't mean that, but if he does mean it, then what does that have implications for our lives? And that's a question that all of us need to ask because some of Jesus' teachings are easier to take than other teachings, but all of them are for us if we belong to him. And so verse 4 says, Look, The pay that you have withheld from the workers who mowed your field cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. And so James starts off by saying, look, he's saying, stop and pay attention to what you're doing. Our actions have impact on those around us. But sometimes we're too caught up in our own agenda to realize what we are, our lack of actions or what our actions do towards others. When we're living for ourselves, it causes us not to be able to empathize with those around us and and to see how our behavior or lack of actions affects those around us. Our actions can cause others pain. And just like that, what we don't do can cause others pain and, and can cause others to be neglected. So James says, look, pay attention to your behavior. See what your actions are doing to those around you. Many rich people have to cheat and have to step over others and step on the backs of others and to be dishonest to get what they have. And there are many Christians who do this too, who have a lot of money, who have been dishonest, although I don't know how you could follow Jesus and be okay with doing that, but I I have things in my life that I just admitted to, so I don't really have much room to talk. Uh, But... But maybe we're not taking advantage of each other or others or the poor. Uh, Maybe we're not doing what James has said. But even if we're not taking advantage of others, are we neglecting others? 
Are we neglecting others when Jesus has told us to love others the way that he's loved us? Which specifically talks about how we should love each other as Christians. But he's told us to show love to strangers and to people that we don't even know and even to our enemies. And so lately I've been asking myself this question, in particular this last week as I've, I've been reading and studying and thinking about this. Um, what could I be doing with the money that God has given me if I had not accumulated all the things that I had that I don't even use, that just set up and stored? How many people could I have helped with the money had I not been focusing on myself? And so that brings me to an illustration of uh, a movie by the name of, it's called Schindler's List. I don't know if you've seen that. It's a really good movie. If you haven't seen that, I'm going to completely ruin the movie for you. But to be fair, it's been out for 20 years, so you've had a chance to see it. So so there's this guy by the name of Oscar Schindler. And this is a true story. It's based back in, in time of Nazi Germany when Nazis in control over that. And and this Oscar Schindler, he's a war profiteer, and he's trying to make money in a time of war. And so he ends up hiring this Jewish accountant. He ends up trying to hire a bunch of Jews, and he actually really is exploiting them uh, for their work as they begin to be taken off to concentration camps. He buys them, and he makes money off of their cheap labor. Um, And uh, that's kind of how that goes for a lot of the movie. And then halfway through, he starts... He starts really seeing the treatment that's happening to these Jews. He starts hearing about the concentration camps and things of that nature. And he starts having a heart change for what he's doing. And for the last part of the movie, he begins making this list of Jews that he's going to save. It's no longer about making money. It's about saving lives. He's not worried about making money anymore. And so by the end of the movie, he saved 1,100 lives 1,100 Jews that, are, that were alive and generations came out of that because of what he did and, and because of his, his love and, and trying to save lives. And so at the end of the movie, all these 1,100 Jews are gathered around him and they're getting ready to send him off because he's a war profiteer. So if he gets caught, he's going to be arrested. And so they're getting ready to send him off and they made this gold ring for him as a token of appreciation. And uh, after he put the ring on, the accountant who became his best friend, who was helping him figure out how to financially navigate his business, um, he leans into this account and he says, I could have I done more. He says, I could have done a lot more. And this accountant says, no, you've saved 1,100 lives. He said, it's not enough. I could have done way more with the money I had. I, I've wasted so much money. You have no idea. I just threw it away. And he, he looks at the car that he's getting ready to get into. He's, this car, why did I keep the car? I could have bought 10 more Jews with that. It could have been 10 more Jews that are alive now if I would have not kept the car. He pulls off a gold uh, pin off of, his, off of his suit and he says, this pin, this could have gotten me two more, two more people or at least one more person. And then he breaks down and he just cries. He falls to the ground and he says, I could have done more. I could have gotten one more and I didn't. And he just cries. It's one of the most sad and touching scenes in the movie and uh, I kind of tear up every time I watch it. But... Um, and so I'm thinking about what we're talking about here. Maybe I, maybe I don't take advantage of the people like James is saying and talking about here. But maybe not doing for others with the means that I have when I could do for others is just as bad in the eyes of God. 
And I believe that's why Jesus tells us not to store up treasures. Because when we store up treasures, we make our lives about us. And we've accumulated things that make it about us and could have went to something better, a better cause to build the kingdom of God instead of building our own kingdoms where we store treasures and we live for ourselves. Because that means we're focusing on ourselves. And that's the opposite of the message of Christ when he tells us to deny ourselves. So what could we do for those around us if we put them first instead of our own desires? And we're maybe not taking advantage of them, but are we doing all that we can to help them and point them to Jesus and share with them the love of Christ? Or are we too concerned with what we can gain out of this life while we're here? We as Christians in this country, we we need to start thinking about what our actions or lack of actions are doing to those around us. Because we're not here for ourselves, and I forget that so easily in my life. Verse 5. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. So what does it mean to live luxuriously? Extremely comfortable, elegant in an enjoyable way, especially in a way that involves great expense. And so most, most of us in this country have many luxuries, even as Christians. And I, I feel like there's a million different ways to indulge ourselves in this country, as he talks about. Um, that we won't go through that list because we all know the areas in our lives that we live luxuriously, that we indulge ourselves in. And so that's all between us and God. And we need to figure out what that is in our own life. And there, be, there may be some of us in here who have less than others, but we still have more than a good portion of the world, regardless of whether you have less than others, even in this room or in this country. And so I don't believe that it's wrong to enjoy the things that God has given us. But sometimes and oftentimes, those things become our main focus in life. It drives why we work. It drives why we make money. It drives what we do with our money. And they often become what we live for. And they can keep us from being and living for others and putting God and others first in our lives. Now, this is why Christmas has little to do with the birth of Christ anymore. Uh, because it's become about what we can get and what we can give. And oftentimes it's about the things that we want to get. We've made it about materialism instead of about Christ. We've put those things before the celebration of Jesus' birth. And that's what he says. He says, you've lived luxuriously on the earth and have indulged yourselves. And we are often, in this country, deriving our joy from the satisfaction that we can get from the world and the things of the world. When we forget that this is not our home. And so this message has been extremely convicting to me this past week because I have made much of my life about me and I've had to ask myself, as many of us do, am I going to take seriously what Jesus has taught me? And that's listening to the word and being doers of the word, as James says in chapter one, to hear what God speaks to my heart and then let it change me. And so we might be tempted to say, well, what does it matter if I have a lot of luxuries and treasures, but I'm not putting them in the place of God? Or what does it matter if I have those things, but I'm I'm still giving to the poor? Uh, and, And a lot of times, you know, a lot of times they do take the place of God in our lives. 
but God tells us not to make our lives about ourselves, but luxuries, luxuries, uh, luxurious lives where we store up treasures, where we seek things that the world has placed value on is the opposite of what Jesus commands us to do. Jesus does not say that you can store up treasures as long as they don't take God's relationship in your life because they, they tend to. Um, he doesn't say that we can store up treasures as long as we give a bunch to the poor. He says don't do it. Simply don't do it. Don't make our lives about possessions and comforts and indulging ourselves. Because this world is not our home. And we're supposed to be distinguishable for the rest of the world. And so I'm not going to tell you what that looks like in your life. That's none of my business. That's between you and God, just like it's none of your business what that looks like in my life. I'm still trying to figure out what it looks like in my life. To to listen to what Jesus says and obey him in this area. Um... Because James tells us back in chapter 4 not to judge each other. That we're all in the same boat. We're all still trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. If you think that you figured out how to follow Jesus perfectly, you're wrong. You can't. We are imperfect people trying to follow a perfect Savior. And so we will always learn. We will always grow. We will always stumble and make mistakes. And sometimes it's hard to make the changes that God has called us to make in our lives. And all of us have to decide if we're going to make those changes. And, and I'm, I think there's a lot of people who would ask at this point, well, does it mean that I'm going to hell because I have possessions? And, and that's not what we're talking about here in this particular case because I think there's a lot of Christians who have possessions and I don't think that that is the case. Uh, this is a question of how much more could we do with what God's given us than to spend it on ourselves. But it's also a question of like being obedient to the one that we claim to love, who tells us that if we love him, Jesus says if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. And I believe that the more we love Jesus, the more we will keep his commandments. But we have to grow in our love for him in order to do that. And so this last verse, verse 16 says, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous who do not resist you. And so, obviously, I don't think any of us are murderers in here. I don't think that every Christian who has a lot of money is a murderer. But I do know that money corrupts us in different ways. It gets us thinking about things in a way that God told us not to think. It's corruption in a way, in a sense. Um, So riches and living for ourselves does corrupt us. And it can cause us to do things uh, that solely revolve around our own lives. And so... What happens as a result of that is that we don't place value on others like we should because we're kind of in our own little realm. We're kind of doing our own little thing, living for ourselves. Um, And oftentimes we place more value on ourselves than we do others. And so to think about it, those of us who have more than what we need need to be aware that there are those out there who have less than what they need to even survive. And there's plenty of things that you could do for that. There's plenty of things that we all could do for that to help those. There's children that you can sponsor overseas that are living in poverty. Uh, There's homeless people that we could aid and assist. And I know sometimes that's a gray area. We think maybe they got themselves there. But how many times have we gotten ourselves in circumstances that God's bailed us out? That's called grace. None of us deserve that. Uh, or just various ways that we can look at our lives. We're getting ready to have the youth put together those care packages finally. We got around it a little too late, but um, 
We're getting ready to do that and have an opportunity to give to those who, who just, just a little something, but to give them something to show that they have value, to give them something that they can see that somebody cares about them, because oftentimes they just want compassion. Oftentimes someone who's out of their luck and, and just wants somebody to see them as a person. Um, but when we're in our own little worlds, we're in our own little lives, accumulating our own little treasures, uh, we oftentimes don't do that the way that God has called us to do. And so accumulation of riches shows that we have not focused, we have not found satisfaction in Jesus, and have not given him everything. We may give him other areas in our lives. We may give him some of our time. We may give him uh, fill in the blank. We may give him this in our lives, and that's good, because that means surrender, as we sang about earlier with lifted hands. Uh, But we're always told to increase in our surrender to him. Um, because denying ourselves means exactly that. And so why do we do this as Christians? As we're going to sing in a moment, we're going to sing Jesus paid it all. Um, all to him I owe. And, uh, and so Jesus has given his life for us. He's laid down his life as an atonement for our sins so that we can have a relationship with God and so that we can spend eternity with him in heaven. We can be forgiven of everything we've ever done. We don't deserve that. None of us deserve that. It's all by the grace of God. And sometimes we, don't, sometimes we neglect it, like the fact that Jesus tells us to repent and give him our lives, that we owe him our lives because he's bought our lives with his blood. And so as we go into this new year, I'm not a fan of resolutions because I feel like every time I make a resolution, I never accomplish anything with it. But I, uh, I do think that maybe we need to take some time and really think about what we're doing with our lives this next year and what that looks like and how we could draw closer to God and how we can maybe give up some things that God tells us not to hold on to. And, and it's all in time and we all have to be patient with ourselves because we're not perfect people. Uh, but God is calling us to strive to be more like Christ. And so we're going to pray. Um, take a time of quiet prayer where we'll, you can just talk to God, tell Him your burdens. You can come up here to the front if you wish to. Um, but we're just going to take a few moments of silent prayer and then I'll close with prayer.